welcome to Kairos. We're, we're really grateful that you're here tonight to worship with us. My name is Matt. This is Sky, Hannah, and Michael. And um, tonight, as we learn about and listen about what true repentance looks like, um, I think one thing we need to know, and the only way that we can truly repent is knowing the amazing grace and mercy of what God gives us. And so we're going to sing about that tonight. So I invite you guys to continue to worship. Deserve is gone. 
precious holy name, you guys can have a seat. My name is Chris. I'm the pastor here at Kairos. Thanks for joining us tonight. Kairos is our honest and unique attempt to connect to God and to each other. Um, and I don't know about you guys, but if you were here last week, I'm still living in the afterglow of our night of worship and prayer. Um, just still just blown away by what all God did in this room. If you weren't able to be a part of that, I encourage you to check it out online, kairosnashville.com. This truly was a remarkable experience. And we usually try to do those about once every four or five months, but we had the sneaking suspicion that when we were gonna start into asking the Lord to revive us so that we can rejoice in him again and ask him to kind of set a wildfire that blazes in our hearts and through our groups and uh, in our communities and to our families, that we probably needed to unpack that a little bit. Um, and so I think for the first time what we're gonna do is Night of Worship kicked us off and then we're gonna spend the next four weeks unpacking what does it look like to actually experience personal and corporate revival? What are the steps? And so looking in the Bible and then also looking at history when God has done an incredible move uh, through his people, it's usually predicated by a couple of things. It's prayer, it's repentance, and then it's hearing and trusting the voice of God uh, in our lives. And so that's just simply what we'll be walking through. And you guys have heard me say this before, prayer is our primary strategy here at Kairos. Um, we love doing the prayer uh, tags that are on the boards here. So again, we, we love it when you guys trust us with your prayer. Tomorrow, that's one of the first things we'll do when we get together is pray for the request that you've trusted us with. Um, but also for my family, uh, we kind of adopted prayer as our primary strategy or as our strategy of only resort because summer's coming to a close and I can't wait for my kids to go back to school, okay? <laughs> They're aggravating the tar out of me, all right? I love them, but it's brutal. Like it starts on Friday and it's a half day and it's like, Audrey, if we could just get to Friday, we will have normalcy and structure again and we won't hear our names called 1,000 times before eight o'clock a.m. And so we have uh, four kids, 11 to a three, and so you can imagine it's chaos at the, at the Brooks household. Um, my wife usually jumps on the majority of that grenade, but I sometimes get some ancillary shrapnel just to tell her that I love her. So it, it, I'm running out of options at this point in the summer. You know, normally it's, hey, we'll go to the pool. Hey, maybe we'll go camp here. We just did a quick trip uh, to Tuscaloosa over the weekend, and I was reminded it's time for you guys to go back to school. Three hours for us all together in a confined space is not doing anything for my walk with God, okay? Um, it's, just, it's just giving me more stuff that I need to repent of. I did that last Tuesday, and already I need another sheet of paper and a lot of water, okay? Because, Lord, <laughs> you know my heart, and it's, it's not pretty right now. I don't know how many of you guys this summer have gotten to spend time with your families. Um, yeah, have any of you guys um, gone on any trips or family vacations? Did any of them go really, really well? And you just want to go, man, I can't wait to do that again? Were any of you just kind of like, this is my family, and I love them, but by day three, get me out of here. I, I, I don't know what it is about how you can love and adore someone so much in one second, and in the next, you're ready to physically lay hands on them. And, and go, I, I'd, I'd like to ask permission to fist fight you. If that's okay and it doesn't rupture our relationship, uh, would that be okay? 
So we're trying, um, you, you know, we'll try to do games as a family sometimes and involve everybody. We're trying not to rot their brains with devices, although it's so awesome when people are quiet. So one of the games that is now acceptable but wasn't acceptable when we first started is a little Spanish game called Uno. That's right, I'm bilingual. You're welcome. <laughs> I don't know if you guys have ever played this before. Um, I don't know if the Spanish conquistadors developed this game simply because they wanted to sabotage the American family, but it works, okay? Uh, it's an incredibly simple game. Most all of our kids can play it. Christopher, a three-year-old, just, I hand him cards and he throws them down and shouts at people. I'm like, that's basically it, okay? <laughs> I'll correct, the, if it matches, that's kind of, we'll, we'll figure that out. But I would submit to you, a lot of times when you're getting your hand in Uno, there are certain cards that you look for, right? You're like, wild draw four, like it's the machine gun uh, in Uno, and you're like, ooh, yeah. And you glance at it, and then you glance at whoever you want to give it to, right? <laughs> it's like, who am I aggravated with? Who am I sitting on my left and my right? Ooh, I can't wait to unload this on you. Or it's just, you kind of tuck it right there, and we'll go, we'll see how the game goes. <laughs> we'll see who aggravates me the first, Okay. You got your draw twos, which are kind of like little jabs. They're okay. You know, you got your skip, which is really just so condescending, isn't it? It's wonderful, right? You just put it down. You don't even just say anything. You're like, you don't even matter. I don't see you. <laughs> and it's, it's so good. It's so passive aggressive. I love it. But I would submit to you that my favorite card in the entire Uno deck is the yellow reverse card. Because the game kind of gets this momentum, right? And someone's unloading on you, and you're just like, yeah, keep it coming, buddy. <laughs> you like draw four, you got like 92 cards in your hand, and they're getting ready to go out for Uno, but then you see the yellow card of redemption, and you go, oh, yes, yeah, sucker. Here it comes. You just wait, because as soon as I put it down, the trajectory is getting reversed. And when I get it, man, I slap it down, and I start singing, like, Rage Against the Machine songs to people. Like, it's coming back around again. This is for the people of the sun. And I just unload. Just try to psych them out. And then just put all 96 cards that were in my hand back in your hand. You're like, how you like me now? And you're feeling like the man or the woman, and then they just kind of have a little wink like this, and the reverse card goes down. You're like, uh-oh, here it comes. The person you may draw all those cards is now about to unload that arsenal on you. Now, the reason I tell you that story is, one, uh, we're going to look at a scripture tonight that kind of where Jesus tells a story about prayer. And it's in his short stories or his parables that Jesus always uses this literary device that's not unlike a reverse card. He gets you going in one direction, you think you know where he's headed, and then he always slaps down this reverse card. And you find yourself pointing your finger or making assumptions or judging someone else or trying to finish his sentence or story or sermon for him, and before you know it, you're pointing the finger at yourself. He's got this marvelous gift. In any parable that you read, there's usually this place where Jesus just all of a sudden says one statement that sends out shock and awe, a mushroom crowd in people's minds that would lead people with dropped jaws, confused looks on their faces, and it wouldn't lead to polite conversations afterwards. People would be going, what is he talking about? How does he teach with such authority? What did he mean when he said this? And so tonight I'm gonna invite us into that story. So if you have your Bibles, we'll be in Luke chapter 18, and we're gonna look at parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. 
And if you'll forgive me, um, I'm going to try to stay a little bit stationary tonight. I tried to do yard work on Saturday, and so now this side of my back is in excruciating pain. And now just getting excited about Rage Against the Machine, my other side of my back is now excruciating in pain. So I will try to stay stationary. If I get excited and start moving and collapse in pain, just know I'm not faking it. It's just someone else will have to finish the talk for me, okay? So we're going to be in Luke chapter 18, and we'll start in verse 8. Would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear? Speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. Amen. Starting in verse 9. To some who are confident in their own righteousness and look down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. And at, at this point in the story, I picture him smiling and having that ding right on the edge of his teeth. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven. But he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. I'll say the word of the Lord, and if you'll say thanks be to God. The word of the Lord. Did you catch the reverse card? Looks like it's going in one direction, and then Jesus says, the tax collector went home justified, not the Pharisee. Now, before we jump in, a lot of times we can gloss over these parables. By the way, these are the landmines that detonated the secret, subversive message of the kingdom of God that would ultimately topple the Roman Empire through weapons of mass destruction, such as faith, hope, and love. So these aren't just little pithy, nighttime children's story with a morality bow tied on the end of it. It contains the subversive DNA of the kingdom of God and how it will overthrow kingdoms and powers and principalities of this earth. And in this short story, we're tempted to just go, okay, I got it, Jesus, right? Tax collector's bad. Boo the IRS, all right? And we need to just say better prayers and don't be arrogant and self-righteous when you play. We got it. If we dig a little bit deeper, I think there's something a little bit more scandalous that the Lord might want to reveal to us about prayer tonight. So first of all, let's take a look at the tax collector. Now, I think we know that they're not the best characters here. I'm going to try to veer out here. Oh, just kidding. Um, a tax collector at this time in Jewish culture was basically the equivalent of Tony Montoya or a gangster or a soprano, all right? He was an organized crime boss. So the way that a tax collector would make his money is, normally he's a Jewish person who now the Roman government has come in, foreign army occupying their land. The way a tax collector makes money is he buys the right to collect taxes from the Roman government. And the way that he makes money is he extorts his own people, especially when they would come up to the temple to pray. So these were like the Benedict Arnolds of people. These were the traitors. These were the lowest of the low. They were disgusting. As a matter of fact, in Jewish law, 
a, a testimony of the tax collector was not valid in a court. It was even so much to say that a social norm that was prescribed is if you were walking down the street and a tax collector was coming this way, you were prescribed to go to the other side of the street and walk around him. So Jesus, when he tells these stories, he usually has a bad habit of like casting the wrong characters as the heroes, but it's what's kind of sets the hook. And Jesus, you know, ever to expose, you know, socialism and racism and picking on the wrong type of people, he uses tax collectors a lot in his story. And the other people that were unsavory at the time were shepherds. Good things he avoided those though, right? So as one of my favorite author that uh, writes on uh, the parables is Robert Farrar, Cape Pond, and he gives a modern translation of this parable that I think we, I'd like to use tonight, and he calls it the Pope and the Pimp, go up to St. Petersburg to pray. So that, maybe that gives you a better flavor of the juxtaposition of characters that we're dealing with here. And then the Pharisee is, some of us who have grown up in uh, Christian culture, we already think we know where the Lord is going, right? We already think, oh, they're so self-righteous, oh, they're so snooty, oh, they're condemning people, they got it all wrong. Actually, the people who have heard this would have heard an incredible picture of a Christian, excuse me, not a Christian, a mature Jewish man saying a prayer. And the prayer that he's praying here, by the way, it sounds like super arrogant, right? Thank you that I'm not like this person. Thank you that I'm not like this person. Thank him, especially not like this person. God, I give a tenth of all I own to you, and I fast twice a week. Actually, he's saying some of the prescribed prayers in the Jewish tradition. So in the Talmud, there's this prayer that people would pray that says, thank you, Lord, that you didn't make me a shopkeeper so that I can study your law. Thank you, Lord, that you didn't make me ignorant, but I'm educated because I know your word. Then in another Jewish law book, there's one that's actually a rabbinical prayer that says, thank you, Lord, that you did not make me a heathen, so I know who you are. Watch this. Thank you, Lord, that you did not make me a woman so that I could study learned things. This is actually a guy who has his PhD in prayer. And he's basically quoting out of his book of common prayer. And to, to top it all off, he's not only good in the eyes of the law, he's doing more than is required. It was only required that you would fast once a week. He's fasting twice a week. And at the end, he's giving God glory for it. It's a picture-perfect prayer for the Jewish people. And then Jesus turns it on his head and says, I tell you the truth, the tax collector went home justified, not the Pharisee. Um, Brandon Bernard Scott, also author I love to read on the parable, says this, Jesus tells us an unacceptable parable in which he proclaims, not only is the good guy not good, but he's worse off than the bad guy. Did you catch that? Not only is the good guy not good, he's worse off than the bad guy. So here you have this incredible visual contrasting between these two people. Here's this good guy here who's saying this incredible, fluid, articulate prayer. Then here's the bad guy here who's mumbling and saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. It's the good guy next to the bad guy. It's the right guy next to the wrong guy. The educated next to the ignorant. The well-spoken next to the hardly speaking at all. It's reverence next to the irreverent. It's the insider next to the outsider. It's the religious next to the sacrilegious. And it's the one who has it put all together and the one who has it falling all apart, side by side. And Jesus says, this one went home justified. You can hear it in the description, but you can also see it in the postures. If the Pharisee was uh, adhering to the prescribed posture of prayer, 
he would raise his hands to heaven and lift his head. And full of confidence and assurance, he would give his prayer out to the Lord at the temple. On the other hand, you have the sinner who says he can't even look up to heaven. His shoulders are slouching. His head is hanging in shame. Possibly his chin is chafing his chest as it goes side to side. And perhaps he's just muttering a little prayer that he heard growing up as a kid. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then something breaks inside of him. It's almost as if the shame is too much to bear. Looking at what he thinks he should be, knowing who he actually is, it says he begins to beat on his chest and repeat, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. This is where it gets vulgar for Jewish people. Beating on your chest is an expression of grief that was reserved only for funerals. But maybe this is exactly what the tax collector needs, is a funeral. And maybe it's what some of us in here tonight need, is a funeral for all of our posturing, our religious play acting, and having all the right words, but our heart being nowhere clear, close to what it is that we're saying. I tell you the truth. This man went home justified, and the other did not. There's a story that's told about um, the king, uh, Frederick the Great, king of Prussia. And he's in his kingdom, and he's visiting some of the prisons. And so he's walking through one with a warden, and he's going down the aisle. And one by one, the inmates come up to the bars, and they just go, King, I'm innocent. Please, I was falsely accused. And as he's touring it, uh, one cell after the other, everyone's proclaiming their innocence, why they shouldn't be in there, why the king needed to release them right away. And then as he's walking by, he stops, and he turns and glances at one prison cell, and the prisoner sits in the corner with his head down and does not make any motion, has to know that the king is here, can hear all the ruckus. And the king says, so tell me, sir, what is your story? How were you falsely imprisoned? prisoner doesn't rise, stays with his head down and says this, I'm guilty and I deserve my punishment. Frederick the Great is told, turns to the warden, says quickly, get the keys, let this guy out of here before he corrupts all these other innocent people. What, what's, what's the irony that that's trying to prove? That the king was just looking for someone who would honestly take responsibility for what they had done and their punishment. And I wonder if that's at the heart of what's missing sometimes in our prayers. That if the Lord's not looking for someone who honestly and humbly and sometimes in vulgar ways has an outburst and just says, hear who I honestly am. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Every time I look at the ideal, I just see myself and I can never live up to that. And so my only hope is not in what I can do anymore. It's in the fact that you're gonna have mercy on me, a sinner. And it doesn't feel awesome. It doesn't feel like I'm going forward. But I know when I look in the mirror at the end of the day, I can't make it through 24 hours without abusing your grace. And maybe one day I'll realize that it's grace because I can abuse it. And maybe if I actually believe that you love me as I am, not as I should be, not as I'm going to be, but emphatically you're in love with me besides anything that I can do or how I can respond, then maybe maybe we would start to have communities that would talk a little bit more authentically about where they're at. I can um, remember I was a college pastor in Tuscaloosa 
and it was my first year there. And so about three months in, we have a fall retreat. And um, I don't know if you guys have ever been on spiritual retreats or gone away um, for a weekend. There's a pattern you can kind of decipher, okay? Here's what it usually looks like, all right? Um, Friday night, you get there, and you just try to get everyone together, settle down the chaos. You have one session, right? Then Saturday morning, you get up. Everyone's asleep, all right? You do your best to try to make it. College students don't wake up before 3 p.m. anyway, and so you don't try to download anything heavy. Just It's real inspirational. And then Saturday night, that's where you seal the deal, okay? Because everybody's been there for a while. They're a little bit tired. You can emotionally manipulate them a little bit. And that's where God does business, right? That's when you lay it down. That's when you have 9,000 songs after the sermon. And you guilt everyone into responding, right? And before you know it, you're just commit. You don't even know what you're doing. You're just committing to it just because you want ice cream and you're done. So I'm well aware of that. And so we do our Friday night as possible, as normal. And then Saturday morning, uh, a friend of mine's up there preaching, and he's talking about where Paul takes his religious resume, everything that he used to put his faith in, his heritage, his intellect, his zeal, and his discipline. And he says, it's rubbish compared to the surpassing knowledge of Jesus Christ, my Lord. And he's landing it, and... I'm getting ready to go up and dismiss, and I'm thinking, okay, we gotta do lunch, then we gotta do flag football, then we gotta confess our sins after everyone is angry at each other. Okay, that's, that's what I gotta do. And as I'm trying to plan out the day, I just kind of sense the Lord go, uh, you need to have a call for repentance. And I said, uh, Lord, it's Saturday morning, we don't do that now. Okay, it, there's clearly a template laid out in the Talmud, which says that happens on Saturday night, okay? It's, it's somewhere in 2 Maccabees, okay? You wrote it, so you, you just you check the reference. <laughs> and so I, I don't know about you, but this is one of the ways that it works for me. One of the validities of hearing the Holy Spirit move in my heart is if I d- try to dismiss it and it digs down deeper. And so it digs down again, and I start bargaining with the Lord. Lord, I just got here, okay? I'm three months in. I need them to like me first before I start doing this stuff. We're, we're not doing this. Okay, it's, let's just wait till tonight. Can we, can we do it tonight? And I just hear, you need to call them to repentance. And it's not a repentance of their sin. It's a repentance of their righteousness, the fact that they put their faith in that. And so I stumble up there, and I, I, I kind of do this stuff when I'm really insecure and nervous, and I'm like, oh, guys, uh, thank you. Um, yeah, here, here's the deal, okay? cry, cry, cry a little bit, and then just go. I just got the sense that the Lord is asking some of us in here to repent, not of our sin, but of our self-righteousness. And the fact that you're putting a lot of stock in your religious pedigree and the church that you grew up in and your biblical knowledge and all these other things that you haven't done that distinguish you from all these sinners, maybe based off the text, The Lord is asking you to publicly confess that and say, if I put my faith in that, then it's rubbish compared to the love of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And I step back and nothing. I'm like, Lord, I told you, it's Saturday night we do that. You got the wrong Kairos moment, all right? The timing's off, dude. And then sure enough, one by one, they start standing up and seeing brokenness over the righteous the religious elite, 
the ones who had judged themselves superior because they didn't do certain things or they knew certain things that other people didn't know. And we missed lunch that day. And I was so blown away. And I look back and I think that's where a spark started to happen in that group where we transitioned from just being this holy huddle in this religious ghetto who tried to hide away from the big bad university, but rather we decided to be people who were tenaciously authentic with one another. And at the heart of every prayer is, God, have mercy on me, a sinner of whom I am the chief. And as they began to experience the love and compassion and kindness of Jesus Christ, they were actually able to offer it to other people and not just pantomime it. And until you experience that, as Helmut Kalika says, you're just licking the pictures in the cookbook. You're offering something you have not yet experienced. And it's unfortunate that sometimes it takes us to a place of complete desperation where we're actually willing to risk looking stupid, sounding funny, doing the wrong thing, and perhaps even have a vulgar display of grief to beat our chest and to cry out to heaven, God, would you have mercy on me? I'm a sinner. And I think maybe we need to create more spaces for that kind of thing to happen. We tried to do that last week in our public worship, but also I think in our private worship. When we're gathered in our small groups, is that the norm? Is that the kind of place where you can come in and you can drop the religious facade, crack the mask back, and not try to impress other people with your works of righteousness, but just to go, you know what, I know who I am in Christ, and here's all the ways that I messed that up this week. God, would you have mercy on me, a sinner? And so my question for you tonight is, who is consistently in your life that hears your story and hears your repentance? What are the repeatable rhythms that you know, hey, I got this place on my calendar this week where I have to confront myself and confront my brothers or my sisters and just say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And what I will receive is grace and mercy and prayer and support and accountability. It's why we'll tell you every week to be a part of a small group. It's why we'll tell you every week we have a Bible reading group because we want the word of God, the will of God, and the works of God in you. And I don't know how you can do that without consistent repentance. And if consistent repentance is not a part of your life, then hiding is. Those are usually your two options. And I just wonder if there's some people in the room tonight are just tired of hiding. You're tired of having to have it all together. You're tired of trying to impress other people rather than communicate with God in your prayer life. You're tired of trying to fill in the blanks and know, oh, I gotta do this, 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 and this, and then I'm accepted. Maybe a better picture is, because I'm accepted, I can give you my tenacious, authentic, gut-wrenching confession of repentance. Lord, I live in the tension of what is and what is yet to come. I live in the tension of who I am and who you're calling me to be. And I don't ever wanna stop pushing towards who you're calling me to be. And the reason I can do this is because my acceptance and my forgiveness in you is unshakable. You are my rock. You are my salvation. You are a mighty fortress. I shall not be shaken. So my soul waits in silence. You are my only hope. God, have mercy on me. A sinner. 
I don't know how many different ways I can tell you that. But that is a place that I continue to find myself in. And would you continue to be the good shepherd who when I wander off in the fold and I break my leg and my brokenness, you come to me and you put me on your shoulders and you carry me home. Will you be who you said you would be? Not just when I came to Christ, but today and tomorrow when I stumble again. And would you give me an unshakable confidence that you are not only holy, but that you're good and kind. My buddy David Fisher is the one who I've told you guys about who consistently hears my repentance in, in my life. Um, so don't talk to him, please. Uh, but uh, <laughs> a couple of years back, um, I get an email from him, and in all caps, it says, please pray. And Davey's not an all caps kind of guy, all right? You're, those of you who are all caps kind of people, you know who you are, okay? He's, he's not you, all right? He's like super chill, middle of the road, real confident, real just, you know, amazing. So I, I'm not used to getting emails that um, are communicating panic. So I read it, and I'm not going to give you the details of what's going on, but I hear my friend uh, who has a rock-solid relationship with Jesus just saying things like, I don't know how to pray. I don't even know if I know what to believe. I don't see any hope in this situation. Please, all I know is to ask people who believe to pray for me. And so I was so moved by it that I just, I got on my face in my office and just began praying to the Lord. Lord, would you intervene? Would you build Debbie's faith? Would you divinely intersect? You know, just crying out to the Lord. And so I get an email 48 hours later and Debbie says this, I don't know what to call what happened other than a miracle. And he explains how God has intervened and how it shouldn't have been possible and how unbelievable uh, good God is and how much his mercy endures forever. And then he says this sentence, I have learned that I have often too careful when it comes to prayer. Anybody else relate to Davy? We've got these careful, pre-scripted prayers that hedge our bets and hedge our disappointment if God doesn't intervene. But I'm just wondering if somebody in here tonight wants to trade some of that stuff in. You want to trade in some of the mindless drivel that spills out of your mouth and falls flat on the floor for the chance just to tenaciously and authentically utter one good God-given sentence that's actually honest about where you are and who he is. Does someone want to trade in all the mindless things that you're hearing saying and go, would someone speak truth tenaciously and authentically? And if that's you, you're in good company because I think you can find men and women like this throughout scripture. I love the fact that the tax collector's prayer is less than 10 words. God, have mercy on me, a sinner, the leper who comes to Jesus. If you are willing Make me clean. It's the Roman centurion. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. It's Peter. Lord, save me or I will die. It's the thief on the cross. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And it's Jesus on the cross. Father, Forgive them. They know not what they do.
And I can tell you based off the authority of God's word and the authority of God's son who bled and died on a Roman cross for you that God has answered that prayer for you. He has forgiven you and he's waiting for your tenacious, authentic prayer to be uttered so that he can shower you with his mercy, his forgiveness and his grace. Amen. So let's take 120 seconds and just kind of listen into that authentic voice that wants to authentically communicate with God. What would it look like for you to find a prayer that's 10 words or less, that is tenaciously authentic about who you are and what you need from God? And as you sit and listen, hopefully to God's voice freeing you up and to your inner voice crying out to a good father for exactly what you need, find out what that sentence would be. And then I challenge you, if you're willing, during this time of worship, if you want, you can find a prayer tag and write that down and know that we'll be praying that on your behalf this week. Because if we wanna see a spark start and a wildfire spread, it's gonna start with the saints of God praying like sinners, going, I need you, Lord. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Let's listen together.
Lord, we stand here tonight in your presence. I pray that right now in this moment that you would rid us of our sin and our self-righteousness and our shame and guilt, God. Wash over us with your mercy.
us to sing this next line together as a congregation. It's exactly what was spoken in the word tonight. posture of receiving, I'll speak a blessing over us. May your prayers be purged of all prideful hypocrisy. May you let your requests be made known to God as he makes known to you his endless mercy and his boundless grace. And may his praise be ever on our lips this week because through Jesus Christ, God has declared us justified. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You guys can have a quick seat. We're going to bring uh, Billy Kate, a.k.a. Dalla Dalla Bills, up here for our next steps. Dalla, Dalla. Dalla, Dalla Bills. We worked on that. Give it up for Billy Kate. Hey, guys. All right. So Chris basically gave all my announcements in his sermon, so I really don't have to be up here. But just to kind of reiterate what he was saying, here at Kairos, prayer is our primary strategy, and we do see it as a privilege to be able to pray for you all. So we have two options. We'll have prayer counselors here at the front, eager and ready to voice a prayer over you all. And then we also have two prayer walls on the sides of each bleachers. All you have to do is grab a tag, just one like these, this, uh, write down how you can specifically be praying for you, and then hang it back up on the wall. We'll collect those by the end of the night, and then tomorrow at our staff meeting, we'll divvy those up, and we'll be specifically praying for you, not just tomorrow, but the rest of the week. And then if you'd like us to contact you and let you know how we are praying for you, just leave some information on that card. Okay, so if you're new here or if you've been coming here for a while and really want to get involved in the community, look no more. We have you covered. So what you need to do is you need to find Matt Purdom. Where is Matt he at? Matt Purdom. Stand right up, there. Cap. Real slim shady, yeah. please stand up. So right there in the lobby, all you need to do is go outside to the info bar, find him, and he'd love to talk your brain out and 
just talk to you about how small groups have changed people's lives and how Bible reading groups really help you get into a community and get you into a community of believers where they just want to dive into their word with you and do life with you. So, or find his wife, Terry. Uh, that too. They'll probably She's get you there awesome. quicker. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So meet Matt for him out in the lobby. Him and his leaders will be there ready to sign you up. And then lastly, for those of you who would like to give, we have giving stations on both sides near the exits on your way out. Take it away, boss. Did she say Boz or Brooks? Boss. Oh, okay. Boss, boss man. I'm still, I'm still rattled. We messed up the handshake. <laughs> God, have mercy on me. Uh, I'm arrhythmic. <laughs> Go in grace and peace and love to serve the Lord. You're dismissed. We'll see you next week. Boss. I, I can't hear anything. Take this life and breathe on this heart that is.